most concerned about when I struck out on my own and parted ways with Rotowire a couple months ago was that I would run out of ideas. You can store money, you can store supplies, but ideas are the kind of thing that you just need them to come to you and it's not really in your power to create more of them. Your ideas don't come from you. They come to you. An idea comes to you. They don't, doesn't really come from you. I guess you can create like fertile ground for ideas by reading a lot of stuff and paying attention to things and keeping an open mind. I guess there's a way to create the conditions to have ideas, but you just really don't know if you're going to have any. And so I was kind of concerned, like, okay, I'm going to stop doing this thing that has a very clear routine around football and baseball and around a radio show that I know I have things to talk about and content to produce and go into a world where I think, well, this is more important to talk about. This is what I want to talk about right now. But what if I say a bunch of things about, about what I have to say, and then that's it. And now what am I going to do then? You know, what am I now? What am I going to do? You know, what's, what's my job then? But actually the opposite has happened. The exact opposite has happened. I've had, <laughs> I, I just can't even keep up with the ideas. I'm, I'm walking down the street and then I have to like, I hate doing this because I hate seeing people do it, but I have to open my phone and like take a note on the notepad of my phone to write down my idea before I forget it. And this has been the case basically for two months straight. There's just new ideas popping in my head all the time. I don't want to jinx it. I could run out at any moment, but I guess this, I'm saying this because I got a lot to say in this podcast and I just had a podcast last week and I've got a lot more to say uh, on this podcast too. So let's just get right to it. I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago, a week and a half ago or whatever that I did not talk about on the podcast. I want to get into it. It's a satire piece. It's a how to persuade the vaccine hesitant to get the jab. Now, first off, vaccine hesitant is just a horrible term. Oh, you're just vaccine hesitant. No, it's not that you don't want it. You're just hesitant. I, I can understand why you're hesitant. You might, you might, you're scared of needles or you're, you've been reading some conspiracy theories, so you're hesitant. No, you're not hesitant. Imagine talking to a vegan and you're like, I think you need more B12 in your diet. Are you just steak hesitant? Are you a steak hesitant vegan? That's, you're not really a vegan. You're just steak hesitant. That's what it is. It's just it's so insulting and stupid. No, they don't want the fucking vaccine. They don't trust it. You know, oh, you're an anti-vaxxer. No, they might have taken eight other vaccines. They don't want this fucking vaccine based on the risk reward profile of it. That's it. That's it. They're not hesitant. They're not anti-vax. They just don't want this particular shot, this new technology that was rushed to market. So if you want to persuade, but I, I, you know, I didn't say it like that. It's satire. So I said, if you want to persuade them, maybe try. Uh, I see you don't like being coerced to take medicine via threats to your basic rights and ability to earn a livelihood. That's understandable. Let me persuade you why getting an mRNA jab is a good medical choice. And then you have to make a case. But the case isn't that strong right now for people under a certain age who don't have health problems. It's not very strong. But there's ways to make the case better. So I'm going to help you out. If you want to convince the vaccine hesitant to get the jab, here, here's, here's a good way. You need to lobby for more aggressive gain-of-function research. If you want to incentivize independent-minded younger people to get the mRNA jab, you're going to have to have a more lethal strain in the next lab leak. I mean, you're just going to have to do a better job. So gain-of-function needs to gain more function. Aaron Rodgers and Kyrie Irving and Novak Djokovic are all dead because they didn't take it. Well, now... Now you got, you know, now you're going to be able to persuade some people. So I think that's make a much more powerful strain. I think that's one thing you could do to, to persuade the vaccine hesitant. As I said, don't use vaccine hesitant, the people who don't want it. Uh, one other thing you might want to do is commission vaccines from different companies because some of these companies like Johnson and Johnson's one of them. And well, they, now you, now you're not even supposed to get that one because that one causes all sorts of side effects. So that, that one that they were saying, oh, get that one so you can get your pass or you know, it's one of them that gets you your vaccine pass so you can keep your job and people got it. Now they're saying, don't take that, it's poison. But okay, set that aside. Johnson & Johnson, they just paid a settlement of $5 billion for their, uh, their role in the opioid crisis that killed in the hundreds of thousands of Americans. So that's Johnson & Johnson. And Pfizer, you know, they settled for $2.3 billion for, uh, I think they marketed a drug as a painkiller that the FDA even, and the FDA approves everything because they're completely captured. They refuse to approve it for that purpose. And apparently Pfizer was alleged to have paid kickbacks to doctors to prescribe it. And it was their fourth settlement between 2002 and 2009. And that's not counting the stuff before 2002. They, uh, they had an experimental anti-meningitis drug 
that killed 11 children and disabled dozens more, uh, I think, in Africa. We know, obviously, that the miracle vaccine is safe and effective. But if you want to persuade people who don't want it to take it, you might want to just get new companies that haven't done all this bad stuff. I just, you know, get someone else to make it, someone that hasn't uh, killed children and, and disabled other ones with their, with their other treatments. The other thing that I always found unpersuasive, you know, when you're, if, if you're trying to, you know, get people to take the vaccine is that they have a liability waiver. All the vaccine makers have a liability waiver under the emergency use authorization. Why are you doing that? I mean, I, I get it, right? You're, you're doing this heroic thing. You're making a miracle vaccine. You're saving lives. Your, your motive is to get us out of this pandemic, save as many people as possible. You're not really concerned about profits that much, obviously, because I mean, you're doing a heroic thing. So, of course, why put heroes like this on the hook for liability for vaccine injuries? That, that just seems unfair. I, I get it. I get it. But just think about it from the, the other point of view. We know that this vaccine is safe and effective. And so why not, just as a show of good faith, be on the hook for all the liability? I mean, there's, there shouldn't be any liability if it's safe and effective, right? I mean, there's nothing to worry about. And if you're saying, well, I mean, we can't do heroic stuff and then still be on the hook. Some the conspiracy theorists could turn that around on you and say, well, I, I can't be taking this jab and, and I'm taking all the risk of, of adverse effects. They're like, no, there's no adverse effects, you conspiracy nut. Well, yeah, so why don't you just take on the liability because there's no adverse effects. So what do you care? See, if the conspiracy nut believes that there's adverse effects and the noble vaccine maker knows there are no vaccine effects, doesn't it make much more sense to leave the liability on the uh, on the vaccine maker because they're they're the one who's not worried about it why why leave the injury cost of getting healthcare and assuming you're still alive on on the person who's who's mistrustful it's a really bad message it just feeds unfounded suspicion i i'm on twitter you know i have and i hear some anecdotal accounts here and there of people having heart attacks and strokes at very young ages unusually but I just think that we just are paying attention to it now. I mean, young people always had heart attacks and strokes. I mean, growing up, my friends, school, grade school, people I knew, I'm sure some of them had heart attacks and strokes. It's just they weren't really diagnosed as much then. And, you know, we just didn't really pay attention. But heart attacks and strokes in kids and 20-somethings and 30-year-olds and cricket players, soccer players, that's common. I mean, I don't know why we're just making this big deal. So they should, but they should waive the liability, obviously. I mean, it's just, it's, it's wrong. It's unfair. I get it. But it's just a a bad look to, you know, especially if you're a conspiracy theorist and you think that why do they need to waive liability if it's so safe? All right, the other thing they might have done, and I, this is just a small issue, but I think it could have been more persuasive. It's just, just to create, like, have like the mRNA shot actually stop the spread of the disease. I mean, look, if you look up the definition of the vaccine, which uh, at least the one from 2021, it doesn't say that the vaccine has to stop the spread or end the pandemic. That's not part of it. It just, you know, it just has to be helpful as a treatment. But if it did actually stop the spread, it would just be, it would just be a better argument to say, hey, you know, you're also protecting other people. You might want to take it. Because now they're just like, oh, you're going to take up an ICU bed. That's that's the argument they have, but that's such a bad argument because like a 20-year-old doesn't take the vaccine is not going to be an ICU bed. So what are they even talking about? If it actually stopped the spread, you could have a better argument. So that would be one thing. Make one that actually works to stop the spread. The other thing that I thought was kind of suspicious seeming, but it's obviously, I know they're doing the right thing, but you know, they, they were banning and discouraging these phony treatments like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, even vitamin D is phony. Obviously it's just conspiracy. Do it yourself, do your own research. People take stuff like that, but that just makes you think it worked. Right. And, and then people start having these false conspiracy theories like, Oh, they don't want anything to work because in order to have the emergency use authorization, nothing else can work. If there were other treatments that worked, you don't get the emergency use, you don't get the waiver of liability. This feeds all these crazy conspiracy theories. So what they should have done was encourage and make them legal and say, hey, go, knock yourself out. These are harmless. And everybody who takes them will realize that they don't do anything. And so I feel like conspiracy theorists kind of feel like the things they ban are the things that work, right? Like they're not banning, they didn't really talk about not taking vitamin B, right? Like vitamin B doesn't really stop coronavirus. They didn't say don't take vitamin B because it doesn't work. So you start to think, oh, well, maybe the vitamins that they're telling you not to take and the things they're discouraging from, maybe it's because it works. It makes you go down that conspiracy road. Whereas these things don't work. Just let people take whatever they want. Right, the other thing that, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way, 
as I was trying to convince so many people to get it was they're like bribing people like here's a donut, here's some money, here's some weed. I mean, look, I mean, I think the weed is actually pretty smart because real man, whatever his medical choices are personally, um, if he can get some weed out of it, I mean, that's, you know, if you had cocaine, I think if they're going to bribe you, you got to get something like cocaine, something that's illegal because weed is legal. I mean, it's like, oh, you're really going to bribe me with weed to get to get the vaccine if I don't want it. Like, but if you give me cocaine, it's not as easy to get cocaine, LSD. I don't want to go to some sketch back alley. And that's the problem. I can just go to the weed dispensary and it's easy. Why would I need to get a vaccine to get weed? Right. But when I want to get the real stuff, it's a pain in the ass. So if you gave crystal meth or cocaine at, at a minimum, uh, I think that would be better. But in general, my point uh, in the article was don't bribe people. It just makes you look desperate, right? Like the vaccine's got to be like a VIP thing, right? People line up, they go to the club. I wanted to write a story about this actually, about how people, may he rest in peace, but there's a guy, Mike Romanowski used to work for us. Very crazy dude. But he was a high roller in Vegas, even though he didn't have a lot of money. He was, he was an everything addict. He did everything. Uh, he lived pretty hard. But of course, I was hanging out with him a lot and I would like share a room with him. He'd be like, fuck that shitty room in the, in the Flamingo that everyone's paying for. I got comped at Caesars and I would room with him at Caesars. Unfortunately, there'd be a stripper there and $1,600 with a shrimp cocktail and vodka and beer and everything. And they'd be passed out in the bed. And I'd be like, you know, okay, this, this isn't ideal. But th that is a true story, actually. And I had to pay because I put my credit card down because I got there first, the $1,600. He did pay me back, but rest in peace, Mike Romanowski. Point is, I'd go out with Romo, and he'd always have these like, oh, we got to get to this club. My, my host has set us up at this club. And I fucking hate clubs. Uh, but, you know, whatever. I was a single dude. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll go with you. So we went, and there'd be all the schmoes waiting in line, and we'd have the VIP passes because Mike just lost 15 grand or whatever yesterday, even though he only made 60 grand a year. You know, we'd get, we'd pass that line, but we'd get to the VIP section. But then there'd be like another line for the VIP section. And I, I thought about writing a story where like there's a huge line to get into this club. That's the most happening club. And when you get into the club, then you got to wait in line in the VIP section because that's where you really want to be. And then you wait in line for that. And then you get in the VIP section and there's this really exclusive VIP VIP section that you wait on another line. And when you get in there, there's one more line. And you don't know where it goes, but you got to get there because it's like the ultimate. And that line leads outside to the outside of the club where all the schmoes are in the back of the line trying to get in the club. Just, it's just no point. It's just one endless chase after another. But I don't even know where I'm going with this. No, here's what I'm going with this is that, is that you got to make it exclusive. Like, oh, this is the VIP. This is, oh, the vaccine. This is not for everybody. This is, it's hard to get the vaccine. Like, I'm not giving you a donut. First of all, comorbidities. It's like, oh yeah, diabetes, obesity. These are the risks with COVID. It's like, I'll give you a donut, fatten you up uh, so you get the vaccine. But even that aside, it's just a bad look to give away stuff, to bribe people. It's like, I guess no one even wants this. They got to pay people to take this stuff. I wouldn't take this if you paid. That's, a, that's the expression. I wouldn't take this if you paid me. Well, they're paying you. Like, they should be like, it should cost money to get it. You know, you, should, you could get like a credit if you can't afford it, but at least five bucks. And, and if you're giving away drugs, give away drugs that are hard to get. Don't give away weed. All right. And then the other thing that just sort of rubbed me the wrong way in this situation is uh why why can't you just choose better spokespeople like the spokespeople they have are terrible you know that rochelle walensky she she's told she she admitted that that the mrna vax has a 95 percent efficacy against spread that she got that from cnn i mean these people are, are ridiculous but the worst one is bill gates he's out he's unsightly he's unattractive he's I know he's one of the biggest investors in the space and he's making money off these vaccines, but do you really have to use him? I mean, this guy, he knew Jeffrey Epstein had been busted for underage sex trafficking or prostitution, whatever it was, underage solicitation of prostitution. I mean, this is, and he's, it's not like he just like got a photo taken with him. By the way, really funny. I was, I, I've been dunking on Bill Gates a lot. It's low hanging fruit, I know, but I, I really feel like seriously that this guy should not be permitted in polite society that people should shun this guy i mean he's just it's one disaster after another and i'm ducking on gates and a guy replies to me on twitter and he shows me a picture of elon musk with jelaine maxwell and i'm not the elon musk cheerleader i'm glad he bought twitter because it can't be worse and maybe he'll live up to his ideas we'll see talk is cheap but really a photo with somebody is the same as multiple times in his mansion, multiple times on the plane, his wife divorcing him in part because of his relationship with Epstein. I mean, this is so, it's so stupid. Like, huh, got you. 
you know, first of all, don't assume what I believe. I'm not an Elon Musk fan. I am a fan of what he's saying about Twitter. If he lives up to it, then I will really appreciate that. We will see. Everybody deserves scrutiny. Everybody deserves skepticism, especially these billionaires, of course. But to just show a photo of him, oh, someone's in a photo with Jelaine Maxwell. Big deal. It's not, it's not the same thing. So that's just stupid. But anyway, you, you got to do better than Bill Gates. It's just, just get someone more attractive, younger, not having palled around with a child sex trafficker. That would be ideal. And then, you know, if that's still not working, but I think that would help a lot. Uh, I think we just need to amend the U.S. Constitution and maybe the Nuremberg Code. You know, the Fourth Amendment requires people to be secure in their persons against unreasonable searches and seizures. Forcing someone to take an ejection kind of falls under that. And then you got the Nuremberg Code, which you have to have consent under the Nuremberg Code. You can't mandate these things. So if you can amend those then I think legally speaking, you'd be on firmer ground to threaten people and bully them more. So I, I would amend the U.S. Constitution and the Nuremberg Code. I mean, obviously, if the other ones don't work, but those would get you a long way, the ones I said before. And then finally, I mean, if, if that doesn't work, I mean, once you've amended the Nuremberg Code, you know, we, we got to understand this. There's nothing more important than public health and safety and getting everyone vaccinated is the best way to achieve that aim. That is the optimal way. And so we can't let the selfish actions of a few imperil, you know, all the good people that do as they're instructed. So, you know, look, I, I've seen this on Twitter and hard to argue. Actions have consequences. Your actions have consequences. Hey, we don't want to do anything bad to you. We're good people. But if you don't take the medicine that you're required to take, then actions have consequences. You're going to have to be forced. You're going to lose your job. You have to be imprisoned, maybe tortured, maybe exterminated. I mean, look, stakes are high here. You know, we might just exterminate you because you didn't do the thing you were instructed to do. And, you know, there's historical precedent for this. This isn't, I'm not, you know, this isn't the first time in the last century. There were many times where if you didn't do as you were told, you just got exterminated. And that was that. And it's unfortunate that it would have to come to this. But, you know, maybe it won't. Maybe the other ones will be more persuasive. So I, I'm pretty sure that these 10 steps that I've just laid out will result in 100% vaccine uptake. There will be nobody who is hesitant anymore, but you can't use the word hesitant, as I said. All right. That was that piece. As I said, it was satire. I hope things aren't such that I have to even say that. One that I'm basically done with, but I'm waiting for my editor, Heather, to just give it a read and give me some feedback before I publish. It's called The Emperor's New Clothes, and it's the story of our time. Even, even 1984 doesn't do justice to this moment as well as Emperor's New Clothes. If I had to really choose like the exemplar of the emperor's new clothes, it's got to be the safe and effective mRNA shots. So they, they, they basically, they check all the boxes from experts, science, the science, it's business interests masquerading as the science and then disparaging anyone who's skeptical, stupid, selfish, childish, evil, anti-vaxxer insulting them. So it's got all the hallmarks of the, the dumb and the people of low character don't see the clothes, don't see how effective and safe this is. And you have all these people on Twitter being like, I took my fourth booster and I wore a mask and I still got COVID. Thank God I took it. Like the thing that I'm vaccinated for four times in the last 18 months I caught, it's a miracle. I mean, this is some serious, serious emperor's new clothes. Like, yeah, look at his beautiful clothes. I mean, it's just, they're all catching it despite having four shots in 18 months. And acting like it's a miracle. It's, it's, it's truly crazy. And you, you're not even supposed to talk about this stuff. It's coming out now because in the story, there was a child who noticed that the emperor was naked and blurted it out and word started spreading. And I feel like the child's already blurted it out and word is spreading. And so it's not as, no one's really coming at me saying, get vaxxed, you better get boosted in my timeline anymore. It's kind of, they're kind of shutting up about that. Because even though if you press them on it, they'd probably still say safe and effective miracle. Thank God it was boosted. But I think like in their heart of hearts, they're knowing that that's getting shakier and shakier. So the question, though, is why did people go along with this? This stupid weaver thing where they said, oh, only dumb people and, and people of low character can't see the clothes. Why did they go along? Given the adverse effects, the VAERS database is, is overrun with reports. The, as I, I mentioned in the satire piece, the sketchy track record of pharmaceutical companies. They put profits above safety. They were... MRNA vaccine was rushed to market. I mean, most vaccines take a decade or so to, to truly be developed. 
the boosters that people are getting are still the alpha strain. They've never updated it. So you're just taking the same thing for a virus that's mutated a bunch of times already. What What is going on here? Why are people, the virus is so mild, people under 50 are healthy, just don't need the vaccine, probably under 70 are healthy, don't really need it. What's, what's the issue? And I feel like there's three conditions that are met where you have a good emperor's new clothes situation. And one is obvious that many powerful people are pot committed to safe and effective. Most of you guys know poker lingo. Pot committed means you've already put so much money in the pot that almost no matter what card falls on the river of the turn, you can't really fold because you've got 80% of your chips in there. And if you have any chance at all to get the pot, you're going to put all your chips in. So you can't really fold. You're pot committed. So there's many powerful people pot committed and elected all the elected officials who required mandates, every corporation who forced people to get the shot to not lose their job. Corporate news media was blanketing the airwaves with it. All the hosts, the executives, the board members, all the doctors who gave it to their patients, told their patients to get it. It's people who shamed others for not going along. Uh, heads of state, the CDC, WHO, they're all pot committed. And some of them are just pot committed emotionally. Uh, a lot of them are pot committed reputationally. People will think, oh my God, how, why did you tell me to do this? Some of them are pot committed legally, liability-wise, because even though there's a liability waiver per the EUA, if there's fraud involved, and I'll talk about the Pfizer dump, pretty sure that your waiver of liability gets overridden. So that's a big risk. So there's, there's powerful people who are pot committed. And those people are, not only are they not going to want this information to come out, they're not even going to want to admit to themselves that it's true. So they're going to fight very hard, not just to destroy people who come out as conspiracy theorists or harming people or disinformation. But they're, And this is why you would have a Ministry of Truth, a disinformation bureau, in the face of powerful people being on the wrong side of something. That's when you better get this information, disinformation bureau out quick because if this grows, a lot of people are going to pay a serious price reputationally and maybe worse. There'd be a lot of very angry people if it came out that this was a bad decision when they were mandated to do it. Second thing is everybody knows they're pot committed. So everybody knows that if they say something or speak up, there'll be a backlash. So that's why you say, oh, look at the beautiful clothes. The emperor's got beautiful clothes. You say that because you know that if you don't say that, that powerful people are going to be angry with you. And the third condition, I stole this from Ben Hunt, who is super annoying, but he does make some good points. Uh, I, always, I referenced the guy because he's very clever. He's kind of like Taleb. He's not as bad as Taleb. He didn't go off the deep end. But he has a lot of very intelligent things to say, but his conclusions, I think, are poor. Everyone knows that everyone knows powerful people are committed, which means it's not just that you know powerful people are going to resist this and destroy you, but that you know that other people know that fact too, so that people aren't necessarily going to have your back if you speak out. It's the uh, what Ben Hunt calls common knowledge. I don't think he would agree with my conclusions uh, about the mRNA shot, but the concept of not just what you know, it's what you know that everybody else knows. And so we're all sort of knowing that you're rocking a serious boat if you come out and talk about this stuff. So when there's these three conditions present, then we can all obviously realize that it's incredibly safe and effective. mRNA treatments, they're a miracle. Thank God we have them. It's the thing getting us out of the pandemic. Now, as I said in the story, it took a child to blurt out the obvious that Emperor was showing his uh, saggy posterior and what happened when he blurted out in the story is that everybody started to realize it. But the emperor himself and the members of his procession, they still pretended, kept going along. And that was kind of the end of the story. You don't really find out how it shakes out. But they were in too deep. They can't all of a sudden say, oh, wow, yeah, you're right. I better get some clothes on. Because, again, they've mandated this shot that if it is not safe, there's just a world of all kinds of liability, reputationally and even maybe criminally and certainly civilly fraud is shown. And so, you know, what do you do? Well, you, you, you keep going. But what does it mean to keep going? How does OJ find the real killers? I mean, you got to pretend like it's all legitimate. Well, Bureau of Disinformation would be one. You know, let's, let's shut down anybody who, because this is important, because this is so safe and people are saying the wrong thing. Let's shut this down. I think that will fail, especially with this absolute kook who they put in charge of it. Obvious kook, even to people who probably agree with it. But I don't think that's, I think the question now is what length will they go to keep up the charade? And this ministry of truth thing is, is obviously bad, but that kind of pales in comparison to say World War III, a tactical nuclear strike, blame it on Russia. I mean, I think we do not want to underestimate what's at stake here. Now, it's not just this. It's the mRNA shot 
fraud, collapse, disaster is a huge thing that is that the elites are going to have to pay for unless they can create another crisis quickly and shift the attention. But you know, the other thing is the <laughs> we'll talk about the markets too because that's what's on everyone's mind. I'm sure the fact that we have this global debt bubble. I've talked about this a couple of podcasts ago. This global debt bubble that's basically accrued to the elites at the expense of everybody else, and that is collapsing. And there's going to be a lot of economic misery around the world. People's life savings wiped out, the economy destroyed, people losing their homes, any equity they've had there. This is a big deal. And so there's that and the mRNA disaster. And those things together are a huge bill for the elites to pay. And I just would not, I, I think we should be careful to underestimate the extent of the crisis they would be willing to create to avoid this accountability. And, you know, World War III is on the table right now. So this, this is what concerns me is that rather than go to prison, rather than be pitchforked by an angry mob, who knows where they'll go? All right. That's the uh, Emperor's New Clothes piece. Uh, I have another one coming out called Conspiracy Theory. And I quote Charlie Munger, who says, show me the incentive and I will show you the outcome. And you can explain large-scale deception, large-scale fraud through incentives more than conspiracies. I think that the reason conspiracy theory works, people use, oh, oh, really? Oh, the government, all the doctors are lying. Everyone's out to get you. Oh, okay, nice conspiracy theory. That works to dismiss arguments. But conspiracy theory itself is, is normal, right? Like powerful actors often plan malign deeds in secret and it's totally appropriate when we're not given the full information we're being lied to, to theorize about the possibility of powerful actors planning malign deeds in secret. I think that is known that that's always happened throughout history. Powerful people plan bad things in secret, and we can speculate on what those things might be, given that they don't tell us, given that our news media doesn't tell us. Theorizing about conspiracies is fine and healthy and normal and not crazy. But what they mean when they say that's a conspiracy theory they mean it to connote unrealistic, large-scale planning such that everybody but you and your fellow paranoiacs are in on it, like some crazy thing where every doctor is telling each other and every executive, are, are they're all in on it, like, ha-ha, we'll get them to do this shot even though it's not good for them. If you believe that, you, you are mentally ill and you are a deranged conspiracy theorist. But nobody really means that, right? Everybody means that there are incentives in place. They're trying to make profits and they're creating incentives for those profits to be made. So, I mean, so basically what it amounts to is that the conspiracy theory dismissal is a lazy straw man. It's, it's assuming the other person is concocting this incredible network of secret agreements between billions of people that you and your friends just don't happen to know about. That is not a credible thing, but that's a straw man. Nobody is saying that. They're saying something more like that a safe and effective vaccine during a scary pandemic would be a massive profit source for large pharmaceutical companies. Government officials are largely controlled by big corporations like banks, weapons manufacturers, big tech, and pharmaceutical companies. The scientific community largely depends on grants from large corporations and government officials. Dissenting scientists, doctors, and academics were punished for their skepticism, just a fact, while those who promoted it were rewarded. And people were terrorized by an exaggerated depiction of COVID's lethality, and they were eager to believe in anything to save them, to end the pandemic. These things are all true. So the person who's explaining why these vaccines are not as advertised does not allege a crazy conspiracy theory. It is a conspiracy of sorts, but it's a, but it's a conspiracy to make money by what? Accentuating the positives, seeing what they want to see, ignoring negatives, looking at data in a way that is favorable, uh, creating incentives to bring people on board. It, it doesn't require people getting together and having the secret agreement. It's just just creating a few incentives and everybody wants to make money. Everybody wants to end the pandemic and they all go along with it. But this is obvious to people paying attention. But I think the more interesting conspiracy theory question is let's point it back on the people who are calling me a conspiracy theorist, calling you a conspiracy theorist. Let's point it back on them. What about all the scientists, doctors, academics? There's thousands of these people, not the tens or hundreds of thousands on the other side, but there's many thousands of scientists, doctors, academics who did not believe the vaccine was as advertised. They, they didn't believe that lockdowns were necessary. They didn't believe that masking was effective. Do you think these people, these doctors, conspired to fake the VAERS reports? They have to sign. They have to attest to it under oath. It, it's, a, it's not like you just make the stuff up without having some accountability. Do you think they conspired thousands of different doctors to fake it? To what end? What, how is that benefiting them to write VAERS reports? What do they get out of uh, pushing for informed consent? I think they... They risked their livelihoods, their reputations. They lost patients. They got fired from their jobs. For what? What was the end? 
the, the only way I can explain why thousands of people would do this, the conspiracy doesn't even make sense. A conspiracy to do what? To harm your own reputation and your own livelihood? No. The only explanation that makes sense to me is that they wanted to tell the truth. They were concerned about their patients. They did it because they wanted to be ethical. They, they cared about it. They care about their patients. They wanted the truth to come out. They wanted them not to be harmed. So if you think about the two sides, the one, the Pfizer side requires no real conspiracy theory to explain the behavior. The incentives are in plain sight. It's obvious why people did what they did, why they were willing to participate in the lie, because they could just see it as, well, no, this is good. This is great. Everybody's telling me it's great. It's very easy to see it. But the other side, there's basically no incentive. Some people are like, oh, he's a grifter. Look at all the social media following he had. Robert Malone, he went on Joe Rogan and then he got deplatformed for Twitter. There may be a couple of guys that got a social media following, which, you know, for better or worse, but they got destroyed. They got attacked. Their reputations tarnished. They got deplatformed. They are not getting rich or getting promoted. Basically, it was the opposite. They were a powerful deterrent. The conspiracy theory needed to explain their behavior is the straw man one. Is like, what the hell would they be doing? This, oh, they're grifting. They're getting social media following. Really? Out of the thousands of them, maybe five guys are famous for it and considered heroes, even though it still costs them money and they're very cushy jobs that they once had. The really crazy conspiracy theory is why are all these people speaking out? So that was that piece. And the other piece I'm writing is called Satisfaction. In like 2000 and I want to say 2005, I broke up with a girlfriend of three years who I lived with for a while. I, it was mostly me. I was kind of relieved it was over, but she was a good person. And we, you know, we had a, a pretty deep connection. And then about a year later, I sort of wanted to try again, but she had moved on. And then I was upset about it. And you know, there was a lot of, we used to get into a lot of arguments and there were a lot of misunderstandings. And I remember I went to Paris by myself in 2007, winter, and I was walking across the Seine. It's a little bit of a cliche. And I was sort of feeling bad, you know, feeling uh, bad about the end of the relationship and feeling kind of sad about things and stuff. And I was regretting that, that there are all these misunderstandings and she thought this. And I, I can't actually remember the details. Like it so long ago. And I, I don't even remember what I have a very good feeling about her. Like when I think about her, I haven't seen her in like 15 years. Like I wish her well, I really, she's a good person and I don't regret anything. And we had a, it was good that whatever it was, it was a good thing. And I hope she's well, but at the time I was very frustrated with her and I was very, I felt like she didn't understand. And if she only understood then. So I was, I was in that mode and I was walking across this bridge by myself and I just gone to Europe by myself because between the Super Bowl and baseball, and I had some vacation time, and I don't know, I hadn't been to Europe except once, 1989, and I was like, all right, I'm going to go to Europe. So I'm walking across this river, you know, in the winter, and and I had what uh, what might be called an epiphany, though uh, usually an epiphany is kind of like a happy discovery, but this was kind of the opposite. I, I, I realized just at some moment that none of the arguments in my head or the explanations uh, were going to matter. Like, they, this was over. It was it. Like, it was done. And there was nothing to salvage or anything. And the only move was just to embrace the disappointment uh, in not being understood. And that was it. And, you know, now that I fast a lot, you know, it, it, I, I describe it as, as the bitter taste of black coffee during a fast. You know, you're not getting toast with butter and jam, no bacon and eggs, just that bitter black coffee. And that wasn't really the satisfaction I would, I was hoping for, you know, with the relationship, but it was, it was something. And I realized at that moment that if I could just embrace that something bitter though it was that it would sustain me, that I would be fine. And so I just, something I realized. And so uh, when COVID hit a couple of years ago, I, I initially took it really seriously and I was like scolding Heather and I was scolding Sasha to wash their hands every time we got back from the park. Uh, one time I even, I think I talked about this before, I glared at uh, one of our friends. She, we were on a hike outdoors and Heather slipped in the mud and she tried to help Heather. And I was like, don't touch her. I gave her this glare. Like, why are you, you know, why are you touching her hand? But I was, uh, I was kind of a Nazi about it for six months. Uh, but something changed in uh, early 2021. We went away to an Airbnb down South with some friends and started drinking. And I guess we just were like, fuck it. We, we started hanging out indoors because it was chilly out. And uh, we just, it started to just, we just started to just let it go. And, uh, and I had an antibodies test because I thought I had some weird thing in December that year. So I got an antibodies test and I had antibodies to it, positive. Um, so then I was just like, fuck it. And then that and all the sort of contradictory messaging and nonsense in the media started to make me realize this is bullshit. So I just lost my fear of it. I just didn't worry. I, I had zero fear of catching it at all at that point. And then once you lost the fear and everybody else still had some fear, you're looking around at people and you're like, 
you guys are fucking crazy. Like it just, it's just like everything just dawned on me. And the kind of person I am, as you obviously know from listening to this podcast, is if I think something, I have this need, maybe a compulsion just to start posting my observations. And so I posted this tweet that it was like the big tweet that blew up about how uh, people masking outdoors make me feel uncomfortable, like they're going to burn me at the stake as a matter of civic duty. And all these uh, nutless monkeys started trying to dunk on me. You're a murderer. You're this and that. I mean, it's just so ridiculous. But okay, fine. It was it was unpleasant. I was fighting with people. And I even wrote a post on my Substack, and clarifying my position and going after some of the people that went after me. But something changed after that, generally. And what changed was I had sort of aired a heretical view and defended it, didn't delete it, didn't back down. And then a lot of these like industry, very online industry people who still believed felt like they had license to go after me, that they could you know, dunk on me, mock me, try to humiliate me, go to my work and, and do stuff like they felt like it was their permission to do it because I was on the team bad. I'm evil. So they can, it's, it's for the good that they're doing this. So they started doing it, you know, so I was in more shit, a lot of more negative exchanges with people. And I, I was like very conscious of not just saying the opposite and using words like cuck and using words like leftist. And I, I didn't want to get into like labels and shit like that. I, I didn't want to be this guy who believes this set of beliefs. I just had my beliefs, which I felt pretty strongly about. And I wasn't going to take shit from people who thought they had a license to be nasty to me in public and go to my work because I had a different belief in them. But I didn't want to go and join another tribe. So I'm in this tribe because I don't agree with that tribe either. So I felt pretty confident in my takes though. I didn't, I didn't know for sure that I would be right about things. I just felt like I had fewer biases than they did is what I felt like. I wasn't really attached to a, an ideology and I didn't have any fear. So I had fewer bias, fewer biases. And, I, and I, I feel like the person with fewer biases is more likely to be right. And I also felt like these fuckers who were trying to silence me or twist my words and lie about me and slander me, these guys had lost their minds and they were certainly not on the right side to behave like that. No matter, no matter what happened, no matter how it turned out, it, it still wasn't right. But, but what happened was like all the shit I was, all the shit I was basically saying and advocating for started being verified by even the establishment organs. You know, they started to admit that these cloth masks don't do shit and that's even indoors. And I was only talking about outdoors and that the mRNA shot does not stop the spread. And when they said 95% effective against spread, that was, that was wrong. And, and I, I thought, you know, maybe, you know, maybe these people, at least some of them would be like, Hey, I'm sorry, man, that was, that was wrong. You were right. Shouldn't have been like that. I was caught up in some shit. No problem. But no, that, that's not what happened. In fact, people would still dunk on me, but they would always be very vague. They'd be like, I don't agree with you about anything, but this, they, they'd say something like, I don't agree with you about much, but this, that would be the nice people. But it's like, what specifically do you disagree about? Because most of the shit that I've been saying has been proven true. So what do you disagree about? And no one ever gets specific. They'd be like, I don't respect you or this guy's an idiot. But they would never say what it is that was wrong. Because if they actually quote tweeted my stuff, they'd realize, oh, that's just common knowledge right now. So I thought maybe that I would get some satisfaction. You know, I'd get some like, hey, sorry, I was wrong. And then like the few holdouts that were so embarrassed by their bad behavior and their total being so wrong and so publicly wrong that they would be like, there would be the holdouts that would be isolated, like criminals who like are living in exile, hiding from the law. Like, yeah, fine. You don't, I won't get satisfaction from you, but everybody knows you're hiding out. But that's not how it went. Nobody gave a shit. Nobody acknowledged in those exchanges that publicly in front of my colleagues who follow both of us calling me, uh, accusing me of killing people, tagging my job was wrong. Nobody said a goddamn thing. I, th I think the reason is that somebody believes in a religion, an ideology, and you contradict that. It's not that you're logically right or wrong. It's that you're a heretic. You, you don't believe in the religion. What you're guilty of is heresy. Said something against the church that they belong to. And so like, if you differ from the church, you're going to hell for defying the church. It doesn't matter how logical your claim is. You, you defy the church, you're going to hell. Rational arguments don't carry weight here. These are emotional, religious convictions. These are not rational convictions. So I'm guilty regardless of what, you know, whether I ended up being right or not. It doesn't matter. And in fact, I would think that for some people, the more correct you were, the worse it is that you were a heretic. Because not only did you commit the crime of heresy, right or wrong, but the fact that you were right 
is embarrassing to them. At some level, they know that they publicly called you out and you were right and they were wrong. And that's embarrassing. So your existence is like even more of an irritant to them. Like the fact that you exist and you're still talking shit, that really fucking pisses me off. They need to finish the job. They need to get me off Twitter. They need to get me fired. They need to defeat me uh, because now, you know, other people who were not really involved in the argument are coming around to it. And that's kind of embarrassing that they were on that side of the argument. I don't think they're like, thinking this all through like this. It's just, they see you, you were correct, but you were a bad guy and you're still bad. But the fact that you're correct is even worse. If you were wrong, they could be like, oh, poor guy, not very smart, he's wrong, fine, whatever, he's harmless, it wasn't a big deal. But the fact that you're right is just embarrassing to them. And so it, it reveals the failure of their entire process. So, so you're not going to get, you're not going to get the uh, apology, but so, so that, you know, that's disappointing. I mean, you, you want like, Hey, come on, where's the justice here? I wasn't attacking you. I wasn't going into your timeline and your feed and creating an argument with you. You came to me, you came into my space and started trying to embarrass me publicly. And then no acknowledgement at all of the fact that what you were saying is totally wrong. And when I was right about what I was saying, nothing I said was false. Um, that's, you know, that's a tough pill to swallow. It's a bitter pill to swallow. I have to say though, it's been, um, it's been heartening that there's many other people on Twitter and even in the industry that that they, you know, they're like-minded and and, it, and it's like it keeps you from despair when you're like, okay, these dudes at least get it. I mean, that's it, other people also get it. That you're not the only one. And having other people, you know, also get it, you know, it just strengthens your resolve a bit. You're like, okay, I'm I'm not totally crazy. I guess, I guess the long-winded point I'm getting to is that the Paris lesson was brought home again that you know your life is not in the business of delivering you satisfaction like yeah i was right they were wrong fuck them they're going to apologize no it doesn't work like that you dissent you commit heresy you're not going to get if the world's not going to give you your your kudos they may move on and leave you alone but they are not going to see you as oh look how prescient he was he was saying this stuff same thing with my relationship if i could only be understood it would be it would be so great but no all you get is the bitter disappointment the solace of black coffee when you're fasting that this is a taste of something but you don't get the extra reward to, to be earnest and sincere is the reward that's it and i put a little uh, marlo stanfield uh, clip in there from the wire and he says you want it to be one way but it's the other way but if you think about it maybe that's how it should be because if there's an incentive if people say oh great clap you're such a good person well that is the kind of thing that the team good people the people that were attacking you in the first place are trying to be to get their reward, to be a good person. The manipulative virtue signaling is all about the reward for doing the right thing. If I can virtue signal how good I am, that's how I get a reward. That's why they're attacking you, to seem like a good guy. And because your views really bother them as the good person that they are. So the reward almost undermines the, the whole thing. The bitter black coffee is the good feeling. If you get the bacon and eggs from it, then, you know, then you're incentivized for that. So of course, you're not going to be rewarded for being a heretic for being naively earnest. But this is not a new phenomenon. Been with us uh, for millennia. And uh, it's a quote, I don't know. I, I put a link to it, but I don't remember what verse and chapter it is. But, but this is from uh, the Bible. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, telling the truth, in a uh, hostile online environment is not exactly like getting nailed to a cross or poisoned like Socrates did or the 2022 persecution. Uh, some people got it worse and people lost their jobs and people, you know, if you're Julian Assange, it's pretty, it's pretty harsh, but people like me who just got some online hate, that's small potatoes. But, but I do think the sentiment stands that if you're attacked and slandered for saying what you believe is true, I think it's good karma. Uh, it's good to take it on, to feel the, lack of satisfaction, take on the negativity and be like, yeah, I took that on because I think this is true and I wanted to say it. And I take solace in that. And uh, the more you get, the more nonsense you get, the better it is for your character, the better it is for your soul. And uh, it might not have been what you hoped for, but, uh, but it can sustain you. That was the other one. Wow, this is going to be a long podcast, but fuck it. You get what you pay for. So another big thing, I'm going to get to the markets, but Pfizer dumped a bunch of documents and there's some very sketchy stuff going on about some of the trials. Like one of the sites didn't exist and another one signed up like 3,000 people in a very short time and it's very unusual in Argentina. And I followed the guy who posted it, Jicky Leaks. So it's one of my last follows. If you look at who I follow, he writes about it. 
it's very sketchy whether there was fraud committed in the compilation of some of the trial data. So he's got a lot of very interesting points on that. I'm not going to dive deep into it right here because this is going pretty long. So another thing that personally, so Heather was away in Barcelona for work this past weekend and I had Sasha. She slept at a friend's house Friday night. Saturday, we kind of bummed around the city, went to a playground, a park and stuff. But she wants to go to the beach on the weekend, you know, and it's a beautiful day out and beach is 30 minute drive from here. It's okay. She wants to go to the beach. And Heather's coming back Sunday at like 1.30 or 2. Her flight gets in. And I'm thinking, can I stall? Just kind of let her sleep in, maybe watch an hour of TV and then go to breakfast. And that's what I'd normally do. But, but Sasha really wants to go to the beach. And I don't want to deal with this uh, for a number of reasons. One of which, you know, we have the dog. So I got to take the dog and her, keep my eye on both of them at the beach. But also the car. Like I don't drive stick shift. I just learned to drive it. I've been, you know, driving around a little bit, but I'm, I'm far from good. And usually Heather's in the car and she's doing directions and, you know, so I'm like, all right, fine. I'm just going to do this. You know, this is just out of your comfort zone. I don't want to deal with being the driver. Uh, if it was, you know, LA with the automatic, no problem. I drive all over the place, but just the stick shift in a foreign country with no driver's license yet, because the driver's license conversion thing is taking forever. So I'm not really supposed to still be using my U S license, Portuguese road signs, roundabouts, all these different kinds of, uh, rules and stuff, but fuck it. I'm going to do it. So we get in the car, we start driving. I give Sasha the phone to do the directions. She's doing a good job. And she's like, exit here. Oh no, can't exit. Police car's there. Something's up. So where's it take us? Takes us off the next exit. Turn back around. Exit on the other side of the highway. Nope, police car's there. What the hell's going on? Bridge is closed. Like, oh, okay, well, sorry, Sasha. You know, bridge is closed. I'm kind of relieved. I'm like, I don't want to deal with all this driving. She's like, well, how can we get there? And I said, oh, well, there's the Vasco da Gama bridge. But that bridge is like, 20 miles away, whatever. She's like, no, we're going to go there. So I'm like, all right, fine. Put the directions into there. So we go <laughs> there and it's an hour drive instead of a half hour drive. Go across that bridge, make it all the way there. Then we go to the beach and we have no reservation, by the way, for lunch. Uh, and she didn't want to eat the hard boiled eggs I make because I burned them. So she's hungry. She's complaining about that. So we get to the beach with Oscar. Oscar, of course, pees on somebody's bag. Had to apologize. That was bad. And she wants me to go in the water, which is freezing, but... And I want to go in, but I can't just leave Oscar on the beach because A, he could run anywhere and B, he might pee on somebody's stuff. So I'm trying to like toggle between like going in the water and she has to hold Oscar. I go in, she goes in. Now I'm standing there on the beach. She's going in, I'm getting sunburned and I'm like <laughs> holding Oscar. And I actually went into my knees holding the dog and he's squirming because he's scared of the water because Sasha traumatized him a year ago by throwing him in a freezing pool. Uh, and he's got really long hair. So he gets wet, he gets really cold. So Anyway, he's getting a little his feet in a bit, but I have to carry him to get you know up to my knees because he's he's only six inches tall. So if it's if it's my knee level, he's basically drowned. Though he can swim, which we found out when she tossed him in the freezing pool uh, last year. So this is kind of hellish. But then we go back, we're lying on the towel, and she's like, "I'm hungry, I'm hungry." I'm like, "Well, we're, we're gonna get lunch back in uh, in Lisbon like we planned because oh because all the the restaurants were booked." And she's like, "She's like, no, I'm hungry." So I'm like, "All right, I'll ask." So I ask, turns out they give us a table. So we get lunch. She goes back in the water. I'm standing there holding Oscar for another half an hour. But she had a good day at the beach. She got a lot of sun. She got a lot of, she swam in the water for an hour. She did all these backflips and gymnastic stuff she likes to do. It was a really, it was a good day. And, but I started realizing about myself, probably edit this down, but I started realizing something about myself, which is that, you know, like Heather's a doer. She does all this stuff. She drives everywhere. She flies everywhere. I'm a thinker. I'm an ideas guy. I'm not really a doer. Like I don't, I'm in my comfort zone, you know, in front of my computer. Like, as I said, like I live in Portugal, but I would have been on my sofa in LA for 20 more years, even though I hate LA, or maybe I would have moved to some other city in the U S but I definitely wouldn't have moved to Europe and dealt with the paperwork and the dealing and the logistics. I just don't deal. I'm just anxious about stuff. I don't want to deal with shit, but whenever I do something like take my kid with the dog running around the car with the stick shift in this foreign country. And I just deal with it. And I'm a, some shaky shifting gears. is pretty shaky. I'm glad I didn't destroy the transmission. I feel good. You know, I feel able when I do stuff and I've done a decent amount of things in my life, but it's just funny. Like I have to like actually like force myself to do this type of shit, get out and do this kind of stuff. You know, things like speaking on the radio or doing podcasts are like, you know, they're just easy now for me. But I remember getting on the radio getting in front of the TV when we did ESPN, you know, all this stuff was like, I had to really get myself to do it. I'm not just one of those people that's like, Oh yeah, let me take a helicopter flying course and get in this. And, and I'll be like, ah, oh, I don't, 
I'm not the guy to fly this thing. What, what the hell? You have an image of yourself as like, oh, I, I'll go on Twitter and I'll say the fucking truth and I'm a badass and those guys can't fuck with me and blah, blah, blah. But really, like when you really look at yourself, you're like, yeah, but I'm like anxious to drive the car to the beach with my kid or, you know, to do some basic stuff. And, and whenever I do it, I'm like, oh, good. I did it. You know, like I'll be like, I don't want to go to the track. I don't know why it's, it's not hard. I go to the track. I'm going to start again. My hamstrings probably better by now, but it's just this dread of like, oh, I got to get on the subway and I got to, <laughs> it's not even, it's not even difficult. It's just, it's just the way I, I am. I just am this sort of by inertia. It's not even lazy. It's more just like would rather not have some discomfort, emotional, physical discomfort. It's emotional discomfort is what it really comes down to, which is so funny because I feel like the whole point of life is emotional discomfort of just facing it, that doubt. And so I'm sort of wrestling with like who I am as a person avoiding emotional discomfort and then also just bringing it on. You know, I, I just need to, I just have no choice now. I just have to become enlightened. I just have to be the person that can just absolutely face the doubt completely because there's nowhere else to go. There's nothing else to do. You're always just going to be anxious and, and unhappy and unsatisfied unless you embrace this doubt. And yet I notice even for like the most basic things, you know, I, I, my image, my self-image and my reality are, are, are not the same. All right, let's get to some other shit. So the markets have been absolutely crashing and this is, I'm doing this Tuesday morning before markets open and I'm very curious to see what happens. Bitcoin rebounded a tiny bit to 31.4 as we speak. The uh, S&P 500 is below 4,000 for the first time in a long time. NASDAQ is 11.6. I mean, things have just gotten absolutely crushed. I'm really curious where it's going. My thesis is that there's so much tied to the stock market that it's a national security issue and that the Fed will not be able to resist the political pressure to ease again and basically print money. And we're going to have a run up like nobody's business. I don't know where the bottom is. I don't know when that's going to happen. But I think inflation, hyperinflation is basically inevitable. It's the last card that they can play. And I think they will have to play it, even though it's so deadly, because if they were willing to accept a crash, a depression, why didn't they do it in 2001? Why did they inflate the housing bubble? If they were willing to do it, why did they bail out the banks in 2008? I just don't think our political leaders and, our, and the Fed have the stomach for it. And so I just feel like they would have done it before if they could have. And they've already printed too much money. And I just think it's, gonna, it's just a matter of, of when, not if. But I don't know, you know when the bottom is. And I'm starting to think about feathering some money back in because is this the bottom or does it have 50% more to drop? I, I don't really think they could take the medicine. It, here, here's, here's the analogy I have. It's like a heroin addict needs to get off the heroin and crash. But the problem is the heroin is in the house next to them. So they're going through the withdrawal and the pain. And normally, you know, I don't know how long it takes, three days or whatever. They have to, you have to lock the guy in his room or a week or whatever and not let him out. But it's like lock him in the room with the heroin in the room with access to it. Of course, he's going to take the heroin to avoid the withdrawal. So they're just going through the beginning of the withdrawal. And when it starts to get really, really, really painful, then they're going to reach for the drug again and it's going to skyrocket. That's my thesis. That's what's going on. I feel like, as I said on Twitter, I said, I've got a better pain tolerance than the Fed does for this crash. So I'm not selling anything. Uh, some of my stocks have lost a shitload of money, but I am holding and I'm actually thinking of buying some stuff. I don't know when. I Don't look at me to time the market. I, I am the wrong person for that. All right. A couple other things. I got so much on mine. So I'm 51 and you're supposed to schedule a colonoscopy uh, at age 50. And I hadn't done that. And it's free here. Or it's cheap or whatever. And it's covered by insurance. So somebody mentioned it to me and I saw it on Twitter. This doctor saying it's, it's the lowest hanging fruit of cancer prevention. It's an easy thing. So I'm like, all right, fuck it. I don't want to do this. No one wants to do this, but I'm going to schedule it. So I scheduled it and I was going to do it tomorrow. And then I just started being, let me just read about this, like what the deal is. I started reading about it. And apparently there's a 0.7% chance about what, 1 in 130, 1 in 140, that there's a serious complication. So when they go in there uh, with the scope, they might perforate your intestine and you can get an infection. You can get serious problems, need surgery, all this stuff. It's 1 in 140. Like to me, that's not like, it's a rare complication. That's not that rare. Like one in a million is rare. Like planes can crash. It's like one in 10 million. Okay, you, you take the chance. It's rare. It is not rare. I hate when I say rare side effects. Oh, the vaccine has rare side effects. It's not fucking rare. It's, tell us the actual number, the honest number. And that's what I hate about this. It's like, oh, this is cancer prevention. It's great. Okay, maybe it is. But I want to know, like one in 140, when I don't have any 
problems to my knowledge. I don't have anything that I'm worried about right this second, except just being a male at age 51. I don't want to have uh, damage done by the exam. And I've had damage done. You know, I had mercury fillings that it's a whole other thing. I haven't even gotten into that mercury poisoning for a lot of years. Like from, I had tons of fillings because I didn't take good care of my teeth when I was a kid. That was more harmful than any partying I did of any bad substance I ingested with the fillings. And then the other thing was I'd had a, uh, an ultrasound or a cat skin, something I had this abdominal pain a couple of years ago. And they, they gave me this like IV iodine dye or whatever. And I had this like horrible kidney pain. I mean, it was like unbearable for two weeks. And I thought I was like dying. And I read 2% of people when they get that uh, scan have the thing I got. Now it resolves in two weeks and it did in my case, luckily, but like, it's pretty scary to have a horrible, I felt like I had a softball in my kidney, like a softball swelling in my kidney. And it's like, they didn't fucking tell me that there was a 2% chance of that happening. Like the fuck, like stop advertising your treatments. Like this is all upside What the fuck. So I'm like, okay, so there's a almost a 1% chance of getting this. And then also they still miss some of the stuff that they're trying to get polyps or whatever. So there's not a hundred percent. It's not a hundred percent effective. Like they still miss some. And then if they do find something and they scrape it out, okay, that's good. Cause it, not going to become cancer, but is that scraping of the interior of your intestine good for you? Well, maybe there's some other, even if it doesn't perforate it, is that, could that cause a problem? So uh, they, I started looking at some data on all cause mortality for getting the colonoscopy and not, and it, it wasn't as strong as all the, the, the hype. Now I'm not telling you what to do, you know, get one if you want to get one. But my philosophy is basically like prevention is really important, but prevention is eating well, exercising, fasting, getting sun, sauna, that's prevention. It's not, why did prevention become patronizing the healthcare system like this? I, to me, it's like, again, I'm not telling you, I'm not a doctor. I'm not giving you medical advice here. Do what you want. You know, when I was 32, the doctor was like, your cholesterol is high. You should take statins. That would have been a terrible idea for all these years. Cholesterol is not even a problem. And so, you know, they're always telling, oh, you have to do it. You know, he told me earnestly, he's like, I wouldn't be alive without statins. My 75-year-old doctor who's now dead. This was 2003. He was telling me, you know, like this is going to prevent you're at risk of heart disease. You got to take these. And obviously the vaccines, the same thing. Oh, if you get COVID, it'll be the, what the winter of death for the unvaccinated. That just didn't fucking happen. So I, I'm just like, you know, the invisible scare, the invisible, the virus, ISIS, the invisible thing, terrorism, the thing you can't see that you need to be very, very afraid of the cancer in your colon, the cholesterol plaques in your arteries. To me, if I have a symptom, I'm going to check it out. I'm going to look at what the causes of these things are and try to prevent them. How do I eat healthy? How do I not get plaques in my heart? But to constantly be taking medication and all this stuff, to me, that's, that's not my way. I'm not saying it's wrong. I, I knock on wood, you know, two years from now, I could say I made a grave mistake, should have done it. It's really, it's possible. I want to get one. I want to get the shit checked out just because I, I, just because some things are false doesn't mean everything is false. It, some things can be true. The establishment, you don't just do the opposite. Just like if those nutless monkeys are coming after me to go and like do the opposite of what they say is, is also not right. That you have to always be trying to engage with reality. So maybe this is a beneficial thing that I should be doing. So I rescheduled it for September and I get a summer to think about it, but I don't know, man. And then the other thing is like, you know, the, this is, this is paranoid, but I, but go with it. Cause it's, it makes sense that the ultimate humiliation is like having a team of medical technical people shoving instruments up your ass like that's like you're completely humbled humiliated and it's like the total humiliation of the of the of the male you know they're already like humiliating men and oh you know and masculinity is evil and you know and, and testosterone is evil and all this you know they're, they're already society's already trying to take all of the edge off of men and all the uh the fight out of the man uh, and this is the ultimate you know what what's more than this you know being prone on the on the table with these people probing up there. I mean, so part of me is like, this is just even the worst of it. Cause you're, you're, you're like basically succumbing to the total emasculation of yourself, the total annihilation of your male self. But then the other hand is like, we're all humbled by age. We all get weak. You know, when you're a hundred years old, you're going to need care and help. Hey, I won't do this. Is this sort of this false notion of immortality that's obviously wrong and that you have to accept your your own dependence on people and stuff so i i understand both sides of that debate but it just did occur to me all right that is a long podcast for me and i'll probably edit this down a bit uh, i want to give a uh, shout out to somebody who contributed very generously emmett peppers longtime listener of the podcast i like that he says he doesn't agree with me on a lot of these things but he just likes the process. And so he can, he's actually contributing to a podcast, the conclusions of which he does not necessarily always agree. 
and that is a good mindset. I also recommend uh, check out his YouTube, Good Soil Investment Management, He's running an, an investment fund. And, uh, and they have a YouTube channel. And I was actually a guest on their YouTube channel. And I will link to that so you can check out the other guests they have who are uh, far more savvy investors than I am. So I appreciate that, Emmett. A couple other you guys uh, contributed. I appreciate that. As I said, if you want this to exist, you contribute. Or if you uh, care that it exists, but you're not really in a position to contribute, then uh, spread the word. Let people know. You can, you can help that way. Give nice reviews on uh, iTunes. All that stuff helps. Uh, I guess that is really it. There's probably like 10 more things I could get more into Bitcoin specific stuff, but I, I just really don't, I just don't sweat it anyway. Yeah. Probably edit some of this down, but that's going to do it till next time.